Welcome to the podcast of Apostolic Lighthouse Tabernacle. You can find out more about our church at lighthouseofmaslin.com or join us for worship Sundays at 11. We pray this message will be a blessing to you. reading from the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 3 and verse 16. And I didn't send my stuff to the media team, so you have to bear with us. Daniel chapter 3 and verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thy hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto you, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image that thou hast set up. I'm going to read this again in the English Standard Version. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. I love that rendering. We don't even need to answer. We don't even need to talk to you. Most powerful man in the world. He's heated up the furnace seven times hotter than it was meant to go. They're getting ropes tied around them. And they said, we don't even need to answer you. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, if not, be it known. Just, just want you to know if this is the end. Still not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you've set up. What faith. Daniel chapter 6 and verse 10. This is the King James, by the way, back there, media team. Daniel chapter 6 and verse 10. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed. He went into his house, and his windows being open in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled down upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. One last passage, Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. In verse 6, this is the English Standard Version, but whatever one you throw up is fine. The King James says, be careful for nothing, but that is a different usage from how we use the word in 2022. It's not, it's a different way of using it. How we would say it today is this, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Don't be anxious 
about anything. I want to talk to you this morning on the subject for a lack of a better way of saying it. Contagious faith. Contagious faith. Will you lift your voice with me? Jesus, we love you. love you Jesus we love you Jesus we love you Jesus we love you Jesus hallelujah Lord you may be seated we spent the last two and a half years talking nothing but contagions and here we are two and a half years later and just every time you think it's over they fire it back up again I had a guy just the other day hand me something wearing goggles, a mask, and rubber gloves. I, 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 you know, throughout the pandemic, you know what I said? I was never for just being foolish. I washed my hands. I used to sense. But to live in this perpetual state of fear is just remarkable to me. And then you watch the same guy take the same glove and rub his eye with it. It just doesn't make a lot of sense. <laughs> That's all we talk about. Everybody's Jeremy. Everybody's your enemy. If you love grandma, you'll never talk to her again. Grandma's had arguments about that. <laughs> contagion. Everything is a contagion. Everything is bad. Everything can make you sick. Except Walmart. You can touch those carts there. And I'm telling you, before the pandemic, touching those carts was a roll of the dice. And if you've ever shopped at Rural King, that's the real roll of the dice. There's nothing. I have been to Africa, South America, and I'm telling you, the, the carts at Rural King are probably one of the most dangerous things you could ever touch, at least in my own experience. We talk about contagions. It's that thing that can spread from one person to another, from one item to another person. It just begins to spread. And we learn very rapidly that when something is contagious, there's not a whole lot you can do to stop it. But there's more than bad things that are contagious. There are things that are good that can be spread from one person to another. We often focus so much on negativity, and you can get one person talking negative in a group of people and I've been there and I've watched it happen as all of a sudden the whole environment begins to take on the negativity that that one person began to spread fear is contagious we've watched that over the last two and a half years also panic and it just begins to set in until it just spreads like wildfire fear but there are good things that are contagious. And one of the most important of them all is faith. Faith is contagious. Faith is catchy if you want to hear a plain way of saying it. When you begin to live in an atmosphere of faith, you begin to surround yourself with people talking faith. It begins to build your own faith. 
It begins to elevate the faith that you have because when you hear them talk about what God has done for them and in their life and in their family, all of a sudden something begins to catch on you, begins to spread up through your body and your spiritual system and you start thinking, wait a second, if Jesus healed them, Jesus can heal me. If Jesus blessed them, Jesus can bless me. If Jesus put their family back together again, he can put my family back together again. Faith, my friends, is contagious. I've been in the environment when my own personal faith was low and I was struggling. You know, sometimes you can be so deep into a storm, it's hard to see anything else but the storm. You know the saying, sometimes you can't see the forest for the trees gets true. You just so in the middle of it that you can't see what's going on around you. But all of a sudden, someone else comes in and they begin to point out all of those things that were happening around you that you were just so caught up with the trouble that you didn't see all the good stuff that God was already doing. And all of a sudden, your faith begins to soar. And you watch as God turns it around. Faith, the Hebrews tells us in chapter 11, is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence. It's the proof. It's what you put down before the jury. It is the proof, the evidence of things not seen. But the scripture says, but without faith, it is impossible to please God. That's verse 6 of Hebrews chapter 11. Without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to him must believe that he is. And you say, well, that's easy. I believe in God or I wouldn't be here this morning. But you got to keep reading. And must believe that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. If you want to please God, you better get something through your mind. He wants to answer your prayers. He wants to answer your prayers. We get so worried because of TV evangelists saying if you mail them $100, God's going to send you a million-dollar check. And you can't let a few hucksters and few thieves and scam artists steal from you what the Word of God says. The Word of God says, ask and it shall be given. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened. I'm not talking about naming and claiming, but I'm telling you, our God is a rewarder. He answers our prayers. He hears us. Israel has been sent into captivity. Over and over again, the Lord pleaded with them to stop their evil. When you hear what God describes their actions as, you can understand why he let it happen. Every vile thing was happening amongst his people. He sent prophet after prophet to warn them of what was going to happen. That it was surely going to happen. And then at the end of every prophecy, he would give a message of hope. But if you turn around, if you repent, I'll stop it. At one point, he told the prophet, he said, I searched and I looked for a man, one man, to stand before me and the people. But I couldn't find any. So his people are sent into captivity. And the king, Nebuchadnezzar, calls his servants and says, I want you to go to Judea and I want you to get the best of the people. 
I want you to get the strongest, the smartest, the most handsome of them and bring them here and we're going to train them and we're going to use them. And so that's what they do. And they bring this group of Hebrews in to the land of Nebuchadnezzar. There they are in Babylon. Their names are changed. Amongst them are three. Their Babylonian names are Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. And we call them by that because it's a lot more catchy than their Hebrew names. They're told once they get there, Daniel's with them too. They're told when they get there, you're going to be called by a Babylonian name. You're going to dress like Babylonians. You're going to live amongst us. You're going to eat what we eat, do what we do. And that's just how it's going to be. But the four of them, they decide and say, look, you know the law of the gods, our God, don't you? Yeah, we can't eat this stuff. What are we going to do, Daniel? I don't know, Meshach, what are we going to do? I say, we talk to the guy in charge. And so they go to the man in charge and say, look, we can't eat this. Our God won't allow us. But if you'll just let us, we'll eat nothing but vegetables and drink nothing but water. And he said, listen, I, I'm... I'm in charge of you, and if you get sick, he's going to punish me. They said, just give us a few weeks, and you'll see that we'll be healthier than everybody else. And so even when their brethren don't serve God, the faith of Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, it is so strong, and their faith strengthens one another. And while everybody else is eating from the king's table, they're eating from the king's table. Time comes and the time goes and they look better than everybody else. Now Daniel's gone. These four men have been elevated already. Daniel's gone. And while Daniel's gone, the king gets a great idea. He says, you know what? I look good in gold. Some of the servants say, yeah, you know, we, we'll build it. And not only will we build it, but anybody who doesn't worship your statue will chuck them in the furnace. We'll use them as kindling wood, king. He said, you know what, I like that. Get a band. And you tell everybody when the band starts to play, they better kneel down and worship me. Statue goes up. The band begins to play. All of the land kneels. But there's three lone shadows. Three shadows in the whole country. Word spreads because they have a position in the government now. They've got a job at stake. They've got, they could lose everything that they have. Not only could they lose their job, but they could lose their lives and word spreads. And the king summons Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego and said, Hey, fellas, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. Maybe you didn't know. Maybe you didn't know. But that statue, that's me. The band playing, that's your cue. Bow down and worship or die. I love brassiness. I just do. <laughs> they, I don't know which one was the one talking or if they all talked at the same time like Huey, Dewey, and Louie in the old Donald Duck movie. But they said, 
We don't even need to talk to you about it. Our God can deliver us. Our God can deliver us. It doesn't matter what you say, king. It doesn't matter what you do, king. We want you to know our God can deliver us. Take your statue. Take your statue. Stick it out in your pipe and smoke it. And they're binding him and saying, oh, and by the way, even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, even if it doesn't go the way I want, even if the doctor's report's not what I hoped it'd be, even if the lawyer gives the bad news, even if everything seems to be turning the wrong direction, just so you know, even then, King, we're not going to bow. We're not going to worship because we know who our God is. We know who our God is. They bind them with strong ropes. They get the biggest and the burliest soldiers in all the land. They heat the furnace seven times hotter. The scripture said his vestige was changed. His fake countenance changed. He didn't even look like the same person anymore. He said, get him out of here. Throw him in. But I want you to heat it up hotter than it's ever been heated before. I don't know what they were heating it with. I don't know if they used coal or wood or if they had old rubber tires. But they chucked it in there. I had an uncle who decided to burn a tire in his house. It was a poor mistake. He heated it up seven times hotter than it was ever meant to be. <laughs> and they got big sheets of wood and were trying to protect the house from the flame of the tire. Only a strange. <laughs> I don't know what they put in that furnace, but it wasn't just hot. It began to glow. Flames begin to jump out of it. It was seven times hotter than it was ever designed to go. And they grab Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. And they're dragging them over. And when they go to throw them in the fire, the fire jumps out. And it kills the men who were throwing them in the fire. And away they go. King's sitting there. <laughs> Bet everybody worships next time. Band, get ready. He's sitting there watching it smolder. And all of a sudden, he rubs his eyes. He rubs them again. Hey, yes, king. Didn't we just throw three in there? Yes, sir. We threw them in, just like you said. Three of them, right? Yeah, three of them. I have a question. Why is it when I look in that fire, I see four men, and they're loose, and they're walking around, and the shape of the fourth man is like the Son of God himself. What's going on in the fire? I want you to know, my friend, when the storm comes, when the fiery temptation comes, when trials come, God is going to go with you every step of the way. Every step of the way. He calls them out. They walk out. There's not a mark on their clothes. 
There's not one singe. There's not a bit of soot. The king even sniffs them. They don't even smell like the fire. When God delivers, when God delivers, it's like it never even happened. When God delivers, it's like it never even happened. All these kings, they're, they, they, they're so flighty and they love God one day and despise him the next. We don't know where Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego go. But another order comes out. There's people they don't like Daniel. And Daniel, he's back in town. And they know Daniel prays three times a day, every day. And so they get to the king's ear and you said, no, King, you know there's no king like you. There's no king like you. And we ought to pass a rule to honor you. And we're going to set a time. And during that time, no one's allowed to pray or worship anyone but you. They butter him up both sides. He starts feeling so big. His head swells so large, the crown gets tight. He said, you know what? I like it. Get me the paperwork. They bring in the paperwork. He signs it, puts his seal on it. You see, they knew a rule. They found a legal loophole. The rule of the Medes and the Persians is nothing. Once, once the law is signed, nothing can turn it around. The king's not even allowed to change his mind. What a law. Once you write it, nothing can ever change it, ever. Daniel hears about it. He hears the paperwork's been signed. You know, I just like to think that Daniel was a little jealous of Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. I like to think that Daniel was just a little envious that he didn't get to do what they got to do. You know, there's nowhere... In the 613 laws of the Old Testament, there's not one that says you have to pray with your window open. There's not one that says you have to face Jerusalem. But you see, that's how Daniel always prayed. He prayed towards that place he believed God was going to take them back to one day. Every day, three times a day, Daniel threw open the window and Daniel prayed. And he never cared what the Persians saw him. He never cared what Babylonians saw him. He survived multiple kings and multiple kingdoms. And he didn't care what they thought. That's how he worshipped his God. And they bring word, Hi, Daniel, you're not going to worship your God anymore. We got the paperwork. It's over. Daniel says, oh, that's nice. Walks back in his house, opens up the curtains, kneels down, and starts to pray and worship his God. You know what? Faith is contagious. Faith begins to spread. You tell me Daniel didn't know what God had already done for Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. No, Daniel knew that God delivered them, and he knew that God was going to deliver him. They bring word to the king. The king's sick. He can't stand the idea. He loves Daniel. And he didn't think about Daniel when he wrote the law. And he looks for a way. And they search all through the work, paperwork. They look through every law that's ever been written. But they cannot find a way to change his decree. 
So they go and they get Daniel and they take him over to the pit of lions. Now you got to understand, it's not a cage at the zoo. It's a pit and it's filled with lions. And they keep them just fed enough that they don't die and hungry enough that they'll kill. And the king stands at the opening of the pit and the king says, Daniel, your God will deliver you. Daniel, I know that your God can deliver you. Daniel didn't say it. The king said it. You know why? Faith is contagious. And he knew what happened to those other men. He said, Daniel, I know your God can deliver you. And they throw him in the hole. And the king listens. He doesn't hear anything. I don't know, maybe he did hear snarling. I like to picture it this way. I know some think the lions are over there, they're clawing, they're scratching, and they can't get past the angel. I like to picture it this way. I like to see Daniel snuggled up with a big one. I like to see Daniel with his head on Simba, feet laying on another one. I like to see him snuggled in there. The night passes. The king can't sleep. He waits for the first sign of the dawn. Runs out to the pit. Tells him to pull away the stone. He yells down, Daniel, did your God do it? Daniel, did your God do it? And Daniel yells, yeah. He did it. He did it. You know what? There's times the doctor's waiting to see if your God really did it. Uh, I sat in the war room with the cancer doctor and we told him when they wanted to cut out the bishop's stomach, wanted to put him through all the stuff that no 85-year-old body could ever survive. And we just said, doctor, thank you for what you did, but we believe God's going to take it away. We believe God's going to take it away. Oh, she was a sweet lady. She said, you think God's going to take it away? She said, yes, we think God's going to take it away. You see, the first doctor said there was a six-inch tumor. Four, sorry, four inches, bigger than a baseball. Said he saw it, said he biopsied it with a camera. Next doctor said there's no tumor. We pray the next doctor said there's no tumor, but the entire stomach is one giant cancerous ulcer. We go to the next doctor, and they do another test, and that doctor comes back and says, no, it's not the whole stomach. It's a little less than an inch, about the size of a dime. But we still want to cut out your whole stomach. <laughs> that was a year ago and some change. And here is our bishop. There was no chemo. There was no radiation. There was no surgery. And there's no pain. And there's no cancer. I'm telling you, then the God does it. God does it. When God heals, God heals. When God delivers, God delivers. Faith is contagious. Faith is contagious. I started preaching faith here a few years ago. 
really begin to him. We've seen a lot of miracles over the years. When I began to preach that God was going to do it for you, Sister Fox was crazy enough to believe me. She had a lady who would come, and she's one of her uh, customers at her tax business. Lady was scheduled to go in and have a cancerous growth removed from her head. Sister Fox reached across the table, laid her hands on her head, cursed it in Jesus' name. The lady went to the doctor. The doctors went to cut, but there was nowhere to cut. They'd scan, but there was nothing there to scan. God had taken the cancer away. Brother Carnes heard us talk about it. He had cancer in his ear. We prayed. The doctors went and cut on him. And they dug all around. But they couldn't find anything to remove. Because Jesus took the cancer away. Over and over again. We have seen it. And the doctor says, I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened. I've been telling the story of little Lyle for years. Lyle was brought here by Reba. She worked with her, his father. Lyle was, I think, three or four years old. His dad brought him. Lyle had already had her eye removed from cancer because of cancer. They removed his eye trying to operate on his brain. And they extended his life a little bit, but now there was a brain tumor that was inoperable. The only thing that they said they could do was to go in and relieve a little bit of pressure and to buy him some more time. But Lyle was going to die. Lyle's mom, she wasn't an atheist, but she was an agnostic. She wasn't even sure there was a God. We prayed for Lyle. I went the next morning, went up to the children's hospital. I intentionally went late. I didn't want to scare Lyle any more than he already was. I just prayed a little prayer because you know what? It wasn't about me. I can't heal nobody. I can't heal anyone. Never healed anyone. But we serve a God that can heal. I put my hand on Lyle's dad's leg and I just said, Jesus, you love Lyle more than we do heal him. I left that place. I'll be honest. When I got to my car, I sobbed like a baby. Went home. Waited the news. A little while went by. Reba calls. And she doesn't sound good on the other end. And my heart dropped into my stomach. <laughs> the faith preacher. <laughs> she said, Pastor, you won't believe it. <laughs> I believed it. <laughs> The doctor came out. She sat with the family when it happened. The doctor come out through the doors. And he comes out shaking his head. And said, I don't know how to tell you this. But there's no cancer. Now that's not the, that's a good part. But that's not the best part. The agnostic mother didn't believe. She said, what do you mean there's no cancer? Are you stupid? Don't you know what a tumor looks like? He said, ma'am. I don't know what to tell you, but five times we scanned his brain and five times there was a tumor, but there's no tumor now. And that mother and that agnostic mother, that father and that agnostic mother danced and shouted all the way down the elevator and Lyle is alive and well and cancer free. Faith is contagious. Faith is contagious. 
I've seen him do it. I've seen AIDS healed. I've seen deaf ears unstopped. I've seen broken bones mended. I've seen wheelchairs emptied. And I'm telling you, we serve a God that can do anything. That can do anything. That can do anything. Stand with me across this place. Choir's going to come. Let's sing that last song again. Bring everybody except Seth. <laughs> He's my helper. I love to read about the great prophet, Elijah. Elijah is so unique. Elijah. At his request, God stops the rain for three and a half years. At his request, God makes it rain again. At his request, God sends a fireball from heaven. There's so much in his life. And Elijah walks up to a young guy with a plow. He's just plowing the field. We're going to talk about that Wednesday. Doing the work of God. Supporting his family. Plowing the field. Elijah said, hey, Elisha, come on. You're going to help me. I want to teach you to be a prophet. It didn't make sense. This huge team of oxen. He had a plow. I tell you, it wasn't cheap. It was pricey. But there's something about the faith that's in Elijah. Just contagious. So Elijah says, I want to come, but there's something I gotta do first. Butchers the oxen. He uses the plow as the wood. He burned the backup plane. And when they got done sacrificing, he said, All right, let's go. Let's go. You see, sometimes faith doesn't make sense. That's why the scripture talks about peace that passes understanding. People should wonder why you're not a mess. They should wonder why you aren't struggling. Why They should be curious why you have joy in the midst of the storm. You know why? Because faith doesn't always make sense. That's why it's faith. Elisha burned the backup plane. But you know, what didn't make sense in human eyes. You know what he got? Double the miracles, double the anointing, and double the power of Elijah. How did it happen? Faith is contagious. I tell you what, I want an Elisha spirit. I want to see more miracles than anyone's ever seen. 
to see more of the power of God. I want to feel more of the presence of God. I'm thankful for our bishop, my grandfather. I'm thankful for the great elders of the past. I'm grateful for what they did and what they dug out for the kingdom of God. But I'm telling you, their faith is contagious. And I want faith not just for what they had, but I want faith for more than what they had. I want to see more, more, more. I don't know what's going on in your life today. I don't know if you're facing a bad doctor's report. I don't know if you've got legal problems. I don't know if you got marriage problems, family problems. I don't know if you're struggling with depression or anxiety. I don't know what might be going on in your life, but this is what I know. Our God is able to deliver you. Our God is able to deliver you. Come on, lift your voice with me across this place. Let your faith begin to elevate. <laughs>